0: Hello, and welcome to BioCentury this week's special report. It's an extra edition of the pod where we're going to discuss what the first wave of data coming through for COVID-19 are telling us. I am Simon Fishburn, Editor-in-Chief, and I'm joined today by...
1: Selena Koch, Executive Editor.
2: Lauren Martz, Senior Editor, and I head up Translation and Clinical Development.
0: So, Selena, you have been looking at the controlled trials for COVID, which, of course, is a too small subset of the whole number of trials going on for the disease. So you can give us the numbers on that in a minute. But I, I want to start with dexamethasone. You know, dexamethasone last week was very big news. Now, that falls into the class of immune modulators. Until now, we've been mostly focused on antivirals, and we can get to that in a minute, but let's focus a little bit on immune modulators. Tell us what the DEX data tell us and what we're going to start learning.
1: Well, I think what was interesting about the DEX data is that it worked best in the sickest patients, those on mechanical ventilation, and that's different from remdesivir. That seemed to work best in a little earlier stage, so you can imagine maybe putting the two together in succession or something. The thought has been that this is a developing disease whose mechanisms change over time. You know, it's a viral infection, obviously, but then as it progresses, you get other pathologies that start to contribute. And as you transition to severe disease, that cytokine storm, which eventually leads to acute respiratory failure. So in this later population, the hypothesis has been that you're going to need something to quell that excess inflammation. So that's where the immune modulators will likely play. And we've seen a very clear signal of that now with the steroid.
0: Right. And now we knew this before to some degree. And the New York Times reports that I think the preprint data for the DEX is now available. And there seems to also be a suggestion that if you use it too early, it actually could have adverse effects, which is something you would expect because presumably early on, you want to boost the immune system.
1: Immune response. Yeah. Um,
0: Right. So what are the other agents, maybe you can talk outside of DEX, which is obviously dirt cheap and a small molecule, but there's a bunch of more expensive IL-6 targeting molecules and things like that. So what are the other immune suppressants and how much data do we have on what's going to work?
1: Yeah. Well, when we looked at the ongoing clinical trials for COVID and we broke down all of the molecules in them by their mechanism at a high level, we found that The whole basket of immune suppressants, immune modulators, immune stimulants was the biggest one by far. So there's a lot of groups going after the host immune system to fight this disease. But immune suppressants are the biggest group within that. And IL-6, in particular, Ectemra, tocilizumab, has got the most attention, the most trials underway. But of the immunosuppressants that have been picked for master protocols, there's been six, and at least four of them interfere with interleukin signaling.
0: Lauren, have you got anything to add on what you think as mechanisms that we should be keeping an eye on? We have a lot of data now
2: on the antivirals, and we're seeing the first data on these immune modulators. And there are some other mechanisms that the trials are looking into that are sort of distinct classes. I think the anticoagulants are really interesting as another way to get at these later stage more severe patients and it'll be interesting to see how those work in these trials
0: and you know a lot of them are going into master protocols of course selena there were one or two master protocols in your landscape that you published last week is that correct
1: yeah well i think two of the clearest signals we've seen have both come from the recovery master protocol one shooting down hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine, I never know how to pronounce that. And then the other for for DEX.
0: And so Lauren, do you think that master protocols are taking hold? I think there's more and more that are coming through. I'm not sure what the total count is yet. But do you think that we're sort of reaching a point where small companies are able to access these? Or is it still really the big ones that are getting their molecules into them?
2: I think at this point, it's still the big ones. Most of these trials are set up to get the compounds that they have access to in as quickly as possible. So we're seeing a lot of the generic drugs go into them and drugs that are in development for other indications, because in order to work in this master protocol format, you need to have availability and sufficient manufacturing already up in place. So I think these are catching on and as we've seen with recovery, they're they're starting to produce some pretty pretty important data. And the recovery trial is specifically for the patients who are in the severe stages of the disease. So it'll be interesting to see some of the trials that are in earlier, less severe hospitalized patients and even the trials looking at ambulatory patients before they go to the hospital will start reading
0: out. Selena, we started out at the beginning by saying it's only a small proportion of the trials that are actually controlled. I don't know if you have that actual number, but maybe you can also talk about what comparators people are using. I guess as remdesivir comes out, dexamethasone come out, previously hydroxychloroquine, you know, they may become the standard of care, not hydroxychloroquine anymore, of course, but they may become the standard of care. So how are people, you know, how do they break down at the moment and how many are blinded versus open label?
1: Right. Well, I start the project by just going to the medical preprint server and PubMed and just doing a search for COVID-19 and clinical trial. And you get, I don't know, close to 5,000 results. And the first thing that struck me was just almost all of them are reviews. So people, people, are a lot of people have opinions on a very few small number of trials. And then after that, you get the single arms and the retrospective studies. And those can have controls, but they're, you know, matched up after the fact as best as they can. And then once you weed through all of that and the case studies and the case series, you get something like 27 controlled trials. (laughs) It was quite pathetic. And in most of them, it seems that the control was often just standard of care. And that can be, it makes some sense, but it's not like it's tested against a single thing. Standard of care varies a lot. So it can be tested against a whole basket of other antivirals
0: within the control group. So what's the breakdown, Selena?
1: Right. If you look at the types of comparators in these, what I selected were just trials that have some kind of a comparator, (laughs) whatever it is. 23% were placebo controlled and the rest were not. They were either compared against a specific other drug or just whatever standard of care happened to be. And that was quite variable, even from patient to patient within the same trial. So it's about 60% were in that last basket. And then just under a quarter were blinded and the rest are open label.
0: So I'll just end by saying I invite people to go and look at the story and BioCentury's website. It is called Clinical Scorecard for COVID-19, Lessons from the First Wave of Controlled Trials. It is available free access at biocentury.com slash coronavirus. One of the things that I think is important is graphic in there, What we can expect to see is for any particular compound, there will be some where they meet the primary endpoint and some where they miss the primary endpoint. And Selena's story sort of starts to tally that and show the number of patients that go into each of those. So that is a way to continue thinking about this. It depends on how many patients are in the trial, how robust the trial is. And, you know, there'll be a, a sort of wave of data coming through that. Selena, anything to end with? Well, you know, the
1: other thing we did is we just plotted all of the studies we could find by the stage of disease that they treated and whether the outcome was positive or negative. So on these, you know, multiple axes. And then when you kind of array them like that, you see this, you know, even though most of these studies are small, (laughs) they're underpowered, they're not the best control. If you look at them sort of collectively, you can see a little bit of a pattern emerge. And what you can see is that the antiviral trials that seem to work out, that seem to have some benefit, were on the earlier end of the disease spectrum. And so far, the immunosuppressant trials that have had a positive result are a little later in the disease spectrum. So that just reiterates, we think is true, what the hypothesis has been. So anyway, we were looking for some kind of a signal in these mostly small, poor-quality studies.
0: And of course, we have previously reported also in our coverage that there are about 200 trials due to readout by the end of the summer. So we should be getting a wave of data. And as you said, if we look at that collectively, hopefully some picture starts to emerge of what kind of mechanisms might work at what stage of the disease.
1: Well, even though placebo-controlled trials are generally the gold standard and something to strive for, the master protocols are often not placebo-controlled or they're open-labeled. So why is that the best design for a master protocol?
2: Well, when you're using a placebo, it has to be administered through the same route as the therapy. And if you have a master protocol, when you're looking at a lot of different kinds of therapies, you need to match the placebo up to that. And the whole benefit of these trials is that you can enroll a very small control arm and you want this control arm to be relevant to Everyone in the trial for all the different drugs that are being tested. So doing these against standard of care makes the most sense to to get that benefit out of the trial. I think there are a couple of cases where there actually are placebo controls, at least for certain drugs. I know that that some of the trials that were testing Remdesivir had a had an IV placebo, but in most cases. Yeah, yeah. If all of
1: your arms have the same modality, I could see how you could then both share a control group and have a placebo. Yeah. 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 But one of the things the master protocols seem to bring, even if they can't have a placebo, is just much larger, like a higher power than most of the studies that have come out so far. Exactly.
0: All right. Well, thank you. That's about all we've got time for in this extra report. You can find, as I said, all of Biocentury's coverage at biocentury.com and the coronavirus coverage at biocentury.com slash coronavirus. Our podcasts are available on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Thank you.